sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon here in the American Southwest. Tonight, I've opened up my vault of recordings from the Golden Age of Radio and selected two of my favorite programs for your enjoyment. These stories have the perfect mixture of classic storytelling, dramatic performance, and dark foreboding to keep you entertained on a cool October evening. They are an ideal listening experience for the 13th day of this haunting month. Our first story is The Thing on the Forbal Board from Quiet Please on August 9th, 1948. The radio program Quiet Please was created by Willis Cooper, who wrote every original episode. The format was a little different from most programs of this type. The stories were usually narrated as being told to the audience, and organ music played throughout in the tradition of live stage dramas. This one features the voice of Ernest Chappell. He was the voice of Quiet Please for many years, and while he had a long career in radio, this was the program he was most recognized for. Chappell started his career as a concert singer and musical theater actor before finding a home in radio in the 1920s. For enthusiasts of programs from radio's golden age, this story is widely considered one of the most frightening and chilling ever produced. So, without further explanation, we present The Thing on the Forbal Board, as heard on Quiet Please in August of 1948. Mutual Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called The Thing on the Purple Board. Me, I'm a roughneck. Well, I was a roughneck, I mean, 20 years ago, a little too old, too slow now. Besides, I got a dollar now, I don't have to be a roughneck, you see. Married, got a nice home. Had to meet my wife. Hey, Mike. Her name's Maxine, but she likes to be called Mike. Mike! I guess she's busy out in the kitchen someplace. Besides, she doesn't hear very well. Shame, too, she's so pretty and everything. Well, you'll meet her. Sit down. I was saying I was a roughneck. Well, no, that doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. A roughneck is an oil field worker, specifically a guy in a drilling crew. Call them roughnecks like you call a section hand on the railroad a gandy dancer, a garage hand a grease monkey. Same time you work around a drilling crew for a while, you're going to be a roughneck in every sense of the word, boy. A derrick floor or a forble board is no place for a guy with a bow tie. Because, well, when you have to fool around with drilling holes that go farther down the ground than it is from the top of Pike's Peak down to sea level... Yeah, sure they do. From the time I was a roughneck, we'd got this one well down to 7,313 feet. That was a record. 
But last May, Pure Oil brought one in out in the Natrona Valley in Wyoming at 14,309 feet. That, friend, is almost three miles. Quite a hole, that, huh? Sure, I don't think there's an oil man in the world that don't wonder one time or another what's down there besides rock and oil and gas. Oil that's made out of trees that died 20 million years ago. Oil that's made out of dinosaur bones. Oil that's maybe made out of the flesh and blood of men, maybe, that beat each other to death with a stone axe. Ate saber-toothed tiger for lunch. Yeah, you get to wondering. You look at the cores that come up from way down there, and sometimes the little shells, trilobites mostly, that was alive when Manhattan Island, where New York is, was under half a mile of ice. We found something once, me and Billy Grunwald, and something found us. I'll tell you about it. We were down to around 5,400 feet. We'd set casing. We began to get water, so we had to stop drilling and cement off. Well, you see, when water begins to seep in the hole, you pull your drill pipe, then you let down a cementing shoe inside the casing, and you plug up the bottom of the hole, casing and all, with quick-hardening waterproof cement. Then when it's hard, you drill through the cement and go on down, and the cement outside the casing at the bottom keeps the water out. Well, we had the drill pipe all pulled and cracked. The cement was setting, see? So we was shut down, waiting for it to harden. We'd been coring just before. Well, you see, a, a core drill is hollow. And as the bit digs down, it stuffs the drillings up inside it, so when you pull it out, you got a sample of the kind of stuff you're going through. And a geologist can tell a lot from that. So there's nobody around the rig except me that night. The rest of the crew's going into town. I was toasting some pork chops over the forge for myself, but I heard a car pulling up. Look out, it's Billy Grunewald, the geologist, and I give him a hello. Hi, Billy, come and have a pork chop. Hi, Porky. Ah. Where's everybody? They yeah, all went to town. I'm the whole crew. Yeah, I had three blowouts between here and Oxnard. Yeah, I wondered where you was. Ted said you'd be in here about three. Yeah, I would have been, except for my tough luck. Oh, oh I'm dead. Yeah, hungry? Starved. Yeah, I got six, oh, seven pork chops. And bread. And some coffee, kind of. Swell. Hey, I got a bottle in the car. <laughs> We're going to have a banquet. Hey, where's that core? That's what I came up here to look at. Yeah, back there on the bench. Look at it after supper. Hey. What? Didn't you say you were all alone here? Uh-huh. I thought I heard somebody talking. Mm. I don't see anybody. Keep an eye on that pork chop. You won't have any supper. Yeah, I'm watching it. Here, let me put the coffee on. Like so. When did you finish cementing? This morning. Last tower only made about ten feet of hole, so Ted shut down before we get flooded out of house and home. Funny about that water. Mm, how? Oughtn't to be any at that level, according to my figuring. Well, there is. Is it salt? Sure, right out of the bottom of the ocean. Hmm, that's funny. Well, maybe I'll be able to tell something from the core. Yeah, I hope so. The last core I looked at, I'd have sworn we were getting into shale. Mm, ain't seen none yet, from the cuttings. That's funny. Here, your pork chop's done. Yeah, take some bread. Yeah, thanks. Oh, man. Good, huh? <laughs> yeah, put on another. I had two already before you come. Yeah, much obliged. Yeah, you know, you never can tell what's down there. You get it all mapped and plotted out, all the strata. And all you know is what comes out of the hole. Yeah, yeah I'd like to go down there sometime if I was little enough. <laughs> 
Never get you down a hole. Yeah, you'd fit. You're skinny. I'll stay up here and look at the cores, bud. Where is that one? Behind you. Over there. Hmm? Oh. Well, I'll have a look at it. Well, why don't you wait till you finish your supper? I'm just going to look at it. Uh, put on another pork chop for me. Okay. Well, I wish those screech out of What's the matter? Hey, wait a minute, Porky. Well, why did... Listen. What's eating you? You, you know, I'd have sworn there's somebody up there in that portable board. Ah, you're crazy. There's nobody up there. Getting against those stands of drill pipes. Ah, they're just rack crooked. One of them slipped. Come on back and eat your pork chop. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Only I... Ah, what you so jittery about, Billy? Come on, eat your sandwich. Here. Yeah, well, thanks, Porky. I don't know. I, I'm just naturally that way, I guess. I'm always scared of the dark. I'm scared. Doc, I don't know. I, I hate to be a baby, but I can't help it. Scared of the dark? Honest? Stupid, ain't it? Oh, I don't know. Everybody's scared of something. Me? Spiders scare the tar out of me. Black widows. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know how you feel, Billy. There another light over here? Yeah. yeah. Here. Ah. Oh. That's better. Hey, listen, uh, Porky. Go out to the car and look in the left-hand door pocket and bring back that bottle, will you? That's what I need. Okay, kid. Okay. So I picked up a flashlight. I turned around and went outside. I found the car. And I got the bottle. And the floor of the derrick was all lit up and... When I saw a beam of light suddenly flash up toward the forbal board, I laughed. <laughs> Billy Grunewald and his ideas. Sure, I looked up. There wasn't a darn thing up there, except the drill pipe racked against the fingerboard. Oh, this uh, forbal board. Well, you've seen oil derricks or pictures of them. Do you know that little platform that runs around the outside of the derrick about halfway up? Well, that's the forbal board. Well, you see, drill pipe comes in lengths, and you handle them with several lengths screwed together so as to save time getting them in and out of the hole. Two lengths is a double, three is a thribble, four is a forble. When you pull a pipe, you heist it up inside the derrick of the traveling block, which moves up and down from the crown block at the top of the derrick. Then when a forble of pipe is pulled out, it's held in the rotary table. You break the joint with tongs, like a great big stilts and wrench, you see. Snub a cable that's fastened to the handle over the cat head on the draw works, and that breaks the joint. Then you hold the tongs on the pipe, give the rotary table a few turns to unscrew it. You heist away with the traveling block and swing it over against the fingerboard, lean it against the derrick. The guy up on the forbal board takes off the traveling block. You do it all over again until you got all the pipe out, you see? Well, there wasn't anybody up on the forbal board uh, except a screech owl, and it flew away. So Billy turned his light off, and I come on inside. And just as I come up the steps, he let out a yell. Yay! What's the matter? What's the matter, Billy? Hey, come here. Look here. Well, what's it? Look, Porky. My... Where did you find that? Now, listen, Porky. I give you my word. That was embedded in the core. Why, it couldn't be. I tell you, it was. Look where I dug it out. Hey, you know what? That rock there comes from a mile underground. And it's been a mile underground for a million years. And look at this. And I did look. And what he was holding was a gold ring. 
And it was all carved and filigreed, just like jewelry. And there wasn't any kidding about it. It was real. No, 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 wait a minute. Hang on, I ain't done. I poked at the Cora rock that looked like a uh, kind of petrified salami or something. And then it was my turn to pretty near jump out of my pants. Because right alongside the place where Billy dug out the ring, there was a mud-covered but very unmistakable finger. I picked it up, and it was cold, and it was heavy, and it was solid rock. At least it felt like solid rock. And I looked at Billy, and Billy looked at me. He started to rub the mud off this here stone finger. And as he rubbed it, it began to disappear. No, he could he could still feel it, he said, but when the mud was gone, neither one of us could see it. And he dropped it to the derrick floor. It went clunk, and we couldn't find it any place. So you know what we've done. When we took that bottle and we took and finished it, Billy and me, we finished it in one slug of peas and it was a full pint of bathtub gin. It tasted just like so much well water to me. And then we sat down on the derrick floor and we looked at each other. We didn't say a word. My eyes got heavier and heavier. The last thing I remember was I heard some kind of noise that seemed to be coming up from... Down on a forble board 80 feet above us. I shut my eyes a minute. I guess I went to sleep. And I had awful dreams. Black widow spiders crawling all over me with gold rings on their legs. Things I could hear but I couldn't see up on the forble board. Billy Grunewald climbing up the ladder outside the derrick in the moonlight. Faces looking at me, and I couldn't figure out who they were. Then I was waked up by a horrible scream. The crash alongside me that shook the whole derrick. I opened my eyes to see Billy Grunewald lying on the floor two feet away with a broken neck. With a broken neck... And his left hand, well, he put the gold ring on the little finger of his left hand and the way his arms were spread out, his left little finger and the ring were gone. Well, friend, I got out of there. I run down to where Billy had left his car and I got in. I stepped on the starter. I couldn't get it to go. And then I remembered after I'm pretty near run down the battery that Billy had taken a key. I wasn't going up there and go through a dead man's clothes to get it. So I sat there in the car and shivered all by myself till daylight. And then Ted and the crew came. Afterwards, a state cop and everybody in the world was asking me questions. Did you and Billy have a fight, Porky? I told you we didn't, Ted. But you had been drinking. We only had that little pike, Ted. Well, what was he doing up on the forble board? Did you threaten him, and did he run up there to get away from Listen, you? Listen, cop, don't be a chump. Billy Grunewald and I were good friends. Then why'd you push him off the forble board? I didn't, I tell you. 
I, I wasn't up there. Oh, what did he go up there for? I don't know. I was asleep. How do you know he was up there? I didn't say he was. You said so. Besides, how would he break his neck if he didn't fall from way up there? Well, look, officer. I think it was just another accident. I mean, we haven't got anything on Porky, and personally, I don't believe he did it. Well, it's so. mighty mysterious. Uh, so it is. But we got work to do. Now, how about it? That cement's hard down there. I want to start drilling again, and I'm short-handed. Will you let Porky stay here till I run in my pipe again, and... Well, then you can take him and ask him questions till you're blue in the face. Well, I... Okay. Let's get rolling. You got steam up, Happy? I'm all set. All right. Porky, you go from the formal board. What? Not me, Ted. Oh, don't be such a boob. There's nobody up there to shove you overboard. And you can put a safety line around you if you want to. And besides, you're getting paid to do what you're told. I've lost too much time already. I'll get going. So, okay, I go up on the forbal board. And you can bet I took a good gander around before I did anything else. Now I couldn't see a thing. So I signaled to the driller to let down the traveling block, and he did. Came sailing down from up above. I was just reaching for it to pick up the first forble of drill pipe. Gave a big jerk, and the cable broke. It dropped and nearly pulled me off the forble board. And it landed right on top of Ted. And if you have any idea what a guy looks like after two tons of metal land on him from 80 feet up, yeah, you keep your ideas to yourself. enough two accidents in a row. The whole crew quit. They, they wasn't going to wait for a third. And it was Ted's money that was paying off. There wasn't any more, and as far as I know, the abandoned Derek is still there. And that was 20 years ago. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. That traveling block was right in front of my face when it broke loose. It was hanging by steel cable, three-quarter inch steel cable. And I saw that cable break right before my eyes. It looked just like a piece of string when you snap it between your fingers. I could almost see the fingers. You know what? There was something up there on the forble board with me. And so a couple of days later I came back. I, I don't know if there's anything in the world as desolate as dismal... As dead-looking as an abandoned oil well rig. There it stands like a skeleton off on a deserted side road in the bare yellow hills surrounding it, and it's the deadest thing you ever saw. I sat in my car for a long time looking at it. Everything was just the way we'd left it. I, I looked in at the floor. The smashed traveling block was there alongside the rotary table. There was a little mutter of steam from the boiler. That was all. Then I heard a tinkle of something as it hit the ground alongside me. I looked around. There wasn't a soul in sight. But at my feet was the gold ring that Billy Grunewald and I had found in the core of rock that came from a mile underground and from a million years ago in time. And I heard a little sound. The sound of a kid crying. And there wasn't any kid up there. And I heard it again and it came from above my head and and I, I took out my revolver. I loaded it carefully. I started up the ladder to the forbo board. Well, there wasn't anything up there, nothing I could see. 
was a voice crying. The voice of a little kid. And then there was a movement behind the rack of drill pipes, and I saw the pipe move, and I yelled, Come out of there, whoever you are! Come out, or I'll start shooting! And the stand of pipe shivered, and I thought, What can it be that can handle that heavy pipe like... like Jack Straw's? And then there was a crash. The whole stand of pipe fell over, and I just got out of the way in time. And I was alone... On the forward board with the thing. But I couldn't see it. I felt the platform tremble under my feet again as something moved toward me. I fired two or three shots. And nothing happened. I started backwards. I knew it was following me because I could hear it meowing like a cat. My feet tripped over something. I saw it was a big can of red lead that somebody had left up there. Without thinking, I picked it up and I... Threw it at the sound and it splashed. And there it was. And I wish I... I wish... The face of a little girl, frightened, crying with hunger and terror. Hands like a human being and a finger missing from the left hand. And a body... Tell you about that. I told you how I'm scared of spiders. But I knew where it came from. It had come from the bowels of the earth, come riding up on the drill pipe as we yanked it out of the well, come to an alien world, and was lost. It stood there dripping with red paint, blood red from head to foot, like some horrible dream. And it put its hand on my arm. Its hand was stone. Living, moving stone. And it looked into my eyes and mewed like a lost kitten. Twenty years ago, I discovered many things about it, what it used for food, that it was deaf that it was invisible and couldn't see people when it was invisible. That if you sprayed it with mud or paint, or grease paint, makeup, then it could see people. And believe me, I didn't want to see its body. I can see that in my nightmares. But its face. I can't help wanting to see that pathetic little girl face. I'm afraid maybe I've fallen... Ah, But it's very beautiful. And when it's well made up, it's... But making it up, rubbing grease paint on a stone face that looks at you and smiles and it makes sounds like a lost kitten yet. I can disguise the body in long dresses. She can't hear very well. And when she's hungry, I have to stay out of her way. I found out what she likes to eat, remember? No, no, sit still. Sit still, do. Sit still or I'll have to shoot you. I want you to meet my wife. Or rather, my wife wants to meet you. Mike. Mike. There she is. Come on in, dear. 
title of tonight's Quiet Please story is The Thing on the Furble Board. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper and featured Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Billy Grunwald. Pat O'Malley was Ted. And Cecil Roy was also a member of the cast. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Sound? Sound by our good friend Albert April. Now, for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Well, I'm reasonably sure that all the characters in tonight's stories were completely fictional. At least I, for one, hope so. Next week, the story is called Presto Changeo, I'm sure. And so, until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. This program was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You just listened to The Thing on the Forble Board from Quiet Please, as originally aired on August 9th, 1948. Next, we have The Signal Man from Suspense on November 4th, 1956. This is a story by Charles Dickens, adapted into a shorter tale for radio. This story was popular with suspense listeners and was performed three times during the show's run. Dickens is mostly known for his stories of Victorian London, focusing on the lives of characters of both low and high standing. Although he is not thought of as a writer of ghost stories, his holiday favorite, A Christmas Carol, certainly could be described as one. With The Signalman, Dickens draws on a recent tragedy that his readers in England would have still been familiar with, the Clayton Tunnel Railroad Crash, and he adds a well-crafted sense of dread. This presentation of The Signalman stars Sarah Churchill. While she did not have a long or prolific career as an actress, her most notable film credit was Royal Wedding, where she starred alongside Fred Astaire. However, Sarah was famous for another reason. She was an English baroness and the second daughter of Winston Churchill. And now, The Signalman, as heard on Suspense in November of 1956. Suspense. And its producer, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. Good afternoon. We are honored to bring you on this first program in our new Sunday time, one of today's most talented actresses, Miss Sarah Churchill, starring in one of yesterday's most chilling tales, The Signalman, by Charles Dickens. More often than not, a classic suffers in transition from one medium to another. The transcribed play you are about to hear is an exception to this generality. The late great writer-director Irving Reese, in his adaptation, has given a dimension to the story that the late, great Charles Dickens never imagined. We suggest that you might find it interesting to read the Dickens story after listening to this, the re-dramatization of The Signal Man, starring Miss Sarah Churchill, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense.
had smashed by like a wounded monster screaming in pain and disappeared into the dark tunnel. In those brief seconds, I'd relived the emotions of my childhood. I still trembled with the child's terror and fascination that had surged through me the many times I stood here, 20 years before. Nothing had changed. The steep, dripping wet walls of jagged stone that led down to the tracks. The gloomy mouth of the tunnel. The small signalman's shack huddled against the side of the cutting. Even the job was held by the same man they had told me in the village. He stood there, in the glow of an angry sunset, furling a signal flag around a short pole. I called to him. Hello! Below! Instead of looking up at me, he turned tensely to stare toward a red signal light that glowed at the mouth of the tunnel. Hello, below there! He finally turned, slowly it seemed to me, even fearfully, and looked up. He stared at me unanswering. I was afraid the suddenness of my call had unnerved him. I, I tried to compensate by being overly casual. Hello! I would like to speak to you. Is there a path I can use to come down? He stared silently a while longer, then finally pointed his flag to a spot in the cutting embankment. It was a zigzag path with small footholds cut through the clammy stone. The track seemed a mile below, but I was determined to get down. Midway, I... I sensed a vague vibration of earth and air, like a sound that could be felt but not heard. I tried to fight down a fear that suddenly gripped me. The air was filled with a violent pulsation. It seemed to have a force that could draw me down. I suddenly threw my hands up to my eyes as though to shut out some terrible sight. And then I flattened myself against the jagged rock and clutched her. Then I was angry with myself, ashamed of this uncontrolled childish reaction. I could see the signalman still staring at me. I climbed down the rest of the way quickly and carelessly, and I walked towards him with a casual smile. He watched me expectantly. Hello. I'm Amy Sayers. I used to live in the village. I, I was anxious to speak to you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I startled you when I called down. Why did you use those words? Those words? I hardly remember. I... I think I shouted, hello, below there, or something to that effect. Not to that effect, miss. Those were the very words. I know them well. Admit those were the words. All right. I admit. Why did you use them? Well, you were below. I wanted to attract your attention, so I called, hello, below there. Seems logical, doesn't it? Aye, miss. If you had no other reason. Well, what other reason could I possibly have? I... Thought you would tell me. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have come down. I, I think I've frightened you. 
Now, why would you think that, miss? Well, you stare at me as, as though you had a dread of me. Aye, miss. I was doubtful whether I'd seen you before. Well, if you have, it was when I was eight years old, standing on that bridge over the tunnel up there. I used to love watching the train. Well, then my family moved to the city. This is my first visit back in 20 years. You don't believe me. I'm not certain. Where could you have seen me? Don't you know? Since I've been away for 20 years, I... Up there, by the red signal light at the mouth of the tunnel. That's why you turned and stared there when I first called. Aye, miss. What would I be doing up at the signal light? I don't know. I wish I... No, it's a mistake, miss. I haven't been well. Uh, what is it you wish to speak to me about? Well, I'm I'm a writer. I wanted to interview you. Me? Why, miss? Well, my magazine does a weekly biographical piece on interesting people and unusual occupations. It's called Close Up. Yeah, I miss. I've read them. You have? Hmm. You seem surprised. Well, I, uh, please, perhaps. Well, that one's so unsophisticated as oh, I... I... I really didn't mean that. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a bit of a fire in my shack. Uh, it'd be more comfortable for you there. Won't you come in? Yes, thank you. My, this is a lonely post. Visitors must be rare. Aye, uh, miss. The branch superintendent makes an annual inspection. Yeah, and that's all. Except for... Yes? Uh, come in, please. Oh, how snug and comfortable. Aye. Most of my waking life is spent here. I've tried to make it pleasant. And you've succeeded. You were speaking of visitors just as we came well, in. And... I'll put this chair nearer the fireplace. One chills out there. I say, you have a fine collection of books. Aye. They've given me much companionship in the long nights. Pretty weighty companions. Gibbon's Decline and Fall, Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy, Darwin's... Did they surprise you again, miss? May I be frank? I'll have to be if I'm to succeed with the article. My editor is only interested in... Odd? Well, the unusual. And the level of my reading seems above the level of my station. Not many people in... Any station these days... Oh, come now, miss. Was you call for frankness? All right. Why would a man with a mind capable of absorbing these subjects stay on a desolate job like this? Well, you see, when I was a young man, I, I became very interested in the natural philosophies. I, I set my course. I studied hard, planned the future. And then I... I ran wild, miss, I... I misused me opportunities. It went down, and I've, I've never risen again. Oh, I've, I've no complaint. I've made my bed. It's too late to make another. Maybe you gave up too soon. No, 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 miss, no, no. There, there are forces beyond us that shape us. One must know when not to resist, miss. Oh, I, I might have blooded myself a while longer, but I knew I... I took this position 34 years ago. And you've never regretted? Oh, no. Not until... It... Until what? Won't you please tell me? 
Now, you first tell me what brought you here. But I have. Well, you said nothing of what made you think of this place specifically. There are many places and people... Well, I told you. I used to come here as a child. The trains frightened and fascinated me. I've always remembered it vividly through the years. I promised myself that one day I would come back and do a story on it. Good subjects aren't easy to find, you know. Why did you choose just now to come? These ideas germinate in a writer's mind for a while and then an impulse. And you were drawn here. You say that as though mystic forces were involved. It was much simpler, I assure you. I've been working hard. I decided that a few days in the country would do me good. I planned to use them profitably by doing a story on you. But you might have come to that decision last month or last year. Well, that's true, but I can't see why you attach a special significance to the fact that I... Why? Why did they frighten you so? Wouldn't you think I might outgrow that silly childish fear? If I was drawn here, as you say, I, I guess it was to see whether I had. The modern psychiatrist would say it was a desire to relive a childhood experience. Aye, miss. There are many answers. Philosophers have even speculated on the possibility that the future can intrude on the memory as well as the past. But surely you don't believe that. I believe only in the evidence of my five senses. May I ask, why did you go to the door? To check the tunnel light. But does it need to be checked so often? You did before we came in. Why are you staring at me so? Was I staring at you? Please, something is preying on your mind. Can't you tell me? The fire needs staring. You're avoiding my question. There's nothing here, miss. Your coming was a mistake. An old man in a railroad tunnel... It would require considerable imagination to make an interesting story of that. What exactly are your duties? Oh, eh, their responsibilities more than actual work, miss. Eh? Exactness and watchfulness are required most. Seeing that the signals operate, turning the switching handle now and then, listening to the telegraph ticket to see if the post is wanted. Not much else. Do the hours weigh heavily through the night? It's very difficult to impart, miss, very difficult to speak of. Now, if you ever make another trip, I'll try to tell you. Yes, 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 of course. And I will have to make several trips before the story takes shape. Uh, when may I come again tomorrow? Ah, uh, miss, if you wish. Thank you. I will be back tomorrow evening. Uh, uh, you won't have any difficulty getting back up. No, it was only that first trip down. Ah, uh, well, I'll show me white light till you reach the top. Thank you. Um, well, I'll say good night now, miss. Good night, sir. I wish you a pleasant one. I regret that I... That... I understand. Aye, miss, I think you do. May I ask you, then, when you get to the top, don't call out to me, I beg of you. Don't, don't call out. I won't. And when you come tomorrow night, please don't call out. Of course not. Good night. And, and may I ask one parting question? Certainly. When you came down the path earlier tonight, Midway, you suddenly threw your hands up to your eyes. Like this. Uh, as though to shut out some dreadful sight. Why? To that uncontrollable childish reaction. Like I said, I, 
I, I felt as though the train would draw me down. I, I covered my eyes like a child not to see it. You had no feeling that the action was conveyed to you for some reason? No. Why should it seem otherwise? Because there's been someone at the red light at the mouth of the tunnel each night for a week now. Holding its hands up to its eyes, like that. As though to shut out some terrible sight. And you've actually seen it? Every night. Was it there tonight when you went to the door? Yes, I saw it quite clearly. Who was it? You! I returned the next night as the distant clocks were striking nine. The signalman waited for me at the bottom of the cutting with his white light shining. We walked silently to his shack, entered it and sat down by the fire. I didn't wish to press him, so I said nothing. He stared at the burning embers for a moment and then turned to me. I'm going to tell you, Miss, as best I can, what troubles me. I'm glad. I mistook you for someone else last night. That troubles me. The mistake? There's someone else. Who is it, then? I don't know. What does it do? Well, this time it stands with its left arm across its face. The right arm is waved violently this way. As, as though to say, for God's sake, clear the way. Clear the way. You've heard those words? Oh, I'm not certain, not about those specific words, but I have heard it called before. When? Well, one moonlight night about a year ago, I was sitting here... When I heard a voice cry, Hello! Below there! That's why you were startled when I used the word. I must. Well, I, I ran to the door and I looked out and I saw this... this someone else standing up there by the red light near the tunnel, waving its arm as I just showed you. The voice was hoarse with shouting and it cried, Hello! Below there! Look out! Look out! I caught up my lamp... And I ran toward the figure, calling, What's wrong? What has happened? Where? And when I got to the light, it was gone. Did you see where? Well, well, the tunnel was the only place it could go without passing me. Well, I ran into the tunnel for a hundred yards or so, and I searched around with my life. Then I ran back here and I telegraphed both ways. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? And the answer came back both ways. All's well. Of course. Now I'm going to take advantage of last night's permission to be frank. You've been here more than 30 years, haven't you? Uh -huh. It isn't the most cheerful place in the world, with that moaning wind through the tunnel and the wild harp it makes of the telegraph wires. It's understandable that you could have the illusion you've heard a call. And anyone staring at the dark long enough as you did from the door could imagine seeing something. You've let it prey on your mind so long... It seems real. Well, I was not... I was not finished, miss. I'm sorry. Within six hours after it first appeared, the main line flyer crashed and derailed at the far end of the tunnel. And within ten hours... The dead and the wounded were being brought through the tunnel over to the spot where the figure stood. A coincidence. A tragic, remarkable coincidence. But don't you see that... There is more, miss. Please forgive me. 
six or seven months passed, and I'd recovered from the surprise and shock when, one morning, just as daylight was breaking, I looked toward the red light, and I saw it again. Did it cry out? No, it was silent. It didn't wave its arm? No, miss, no. It leaned against the post with both hands covering the eyes like this, as though to blot out some terrible sight. That's why you asked me why I had put my hands to my eyes as I came down the path. Aye, miss, you called out the words it used the first time, and you covered your eyes as it did the second time. Go on, please. Well, that very day, as a train came out of the tunnel, I, I noticed a confusion of hands and heads at one of the coach platforms, and something waved. I saw it in time to flag down the engineer. He applied his brakes, but the train drifted past here, oh, about a hundred yards... As I ran up to it, I heard terrible screams and cries. A, a beautiful young woman had fallen between the cars, and she was brought in here. She died on this very spot between us. How horrible. But I still don't see... One that. final word, miss, and, and, and you'll judge how my mind is troubled. It came back a week ago. And ever since, it's been there. At the light? Aye. It covers its eyes, it waves its arm, it shouts, For God's sake, clear the way, clear the way! I've no rest or peace for it. It, it calls to me many minutes together in an agonized manner. Below there, look out, look out! It stands waving at me. It, it, it sounds the telegraph ticker. Did it sound the ticker last night while I was here? Twice. I assure you it was your imagination. The ticker did not sound last night. No, I've never made a mistake as to that, Miss. I, I don't wonder that you failed to hear it, but I heard it. Do you hear it now? Aye. What is it saying? It isn't clear. It only warns. It doesn't say against what. If I only knew what it meant. What is the danger? Where is the danger? There is danger overhanging somewhere on the line. Some terrible calamity will happen. Please, you mustn't let yourself go. But if I telegraph danger on either side of me or on both, I can give them no reason for it. I'd get into trouble and do no good. They'd think I was mad. And this is the way it would work, miss. Message, danger, take care. Answer, what danger, where? Message, don't know, but for God's sake, take care. They'd displace me. What else could they do, miss? For your sanity's sake, and for the sake of the lives that are dependent on you, you must listen to me. When it first stood under the danger light, why didn't it tell me where the accident was to happen if it must happen? Why didn't it tell me how it could be averted if it could have been averted? And when on its second coming it hid its face, why didn't it tell me instead she's going to die? Let them keep her at home. If it came on those two occasions only to show me that its warnings were true and so prepare me for the third, why not warn me plainly now? And I, Lord, help me, a mere signal man on this solitary station, why not go to somebody with credit to be believed and power to act? Why? Why? I can help you, but you must face realistically what I have to say. Will you try? I, I, I'll try, miss. These accidents have shaken you deeply. You feel guilt about them, even though there was nothing you could do. You've let it prey on your mind until you imagine someone tried to warn you. I saw and heard that someone... Even the senses can deceive when the mind is under stress... Men dying of thirst on the desert. Imagine lakes and hear running streams. Oh, miss, the bodies of the dead were real enough. I'm speaking of what you imagined after the accident. 
If you let me, I'll prove to you, step by step, that the specter existed only in your fantasies. Well, how can you prove that in the face of what I've just told you? By appealing to the intelligent, reasoning portion of your mind. Listen. You were positive when you first saw me that I was the specter that you saw at the light, weren't you? You used the same words. Well, now listen carefully. I appeal to the intelligent, well-read, reasonable man. Three words. Hello below there. I was more than a hundred feet away at the top of the embankment, and you were here below with darkness falling. And three words made you positive you had seen me before. Can't you see you were trying to fit something to what you already believe? But then you put your hands to your eyes. Further proof. You have allowed yourself to believe some disaster is about to befall. When I covered my eyes because of a childish fear... You fitted that to what you already believed. Oh, no, the telegraph ticker You must not... hear me out. Would you at any other time, or would anyone at any time, believe that a telegraph ticker could sound in a room this small and be heard by one person and not the other? But I told you... Now, the most important proof. You said that when you went to the door last night, it was there by the red danger light. Aye, it was. Will you come to the door with me now? And tell me if it is still there. Well, do you see it? No. No, miss. It's not there. And I'm going to prove to you that it never was there. I studied the light from the top of the hill before I came down tonight. The post is at least seven feet high. The light is shielded with a hood. Even if a person stood directly under it or in front of it, they would be in complete shadow, in darkness. You couldn't see that person from this door, and you couldn't see that person if you walked within a few yards of her or him or it. I'm going to walk up the incline now to the light and prove it to you. I walked up the inclining tracks toward the red light at the mouth of a tunnel. The chill, dank wind had an edge like a cold knife. When I got to the light post, I stood directly under it. No portion of the red glow reached me. I was lost, completely in the dark. I saw the sickle man silhouetted in the yellow light of the doorway. Hello? Can you see me? Hello below there? Can you see me? No. Good. Now start walking toward me and tell me when you can see me. He stepped between the rails of the northbound track on a line with the red signal light and walked toward me. Suddenly, the icy hand of my childhood dread gripped me. There was a vague vibration of the earth and air. Far behind him, coming up the grade fast, I could begin to see the glow of the locomotive's light. Look out! Look out! For God's sake, clear the way! Clear the way! He walked as though in a spell. He didn't hear me. Oh, he wouldn't hear me. I was rooted to the gravel. I threw my left arm up to my eyes and waved my right arm frantically. Below there! Look out! Look out! Clear the way! Oh, God! Long after it was over, 
They found me. Still standing there. Both of my hands up to my eyes. To shut out. The terrible sight. which Miss Sarah Churchill starred in Irving Reese's adaptation of Charles Dickens' story, The Signalman. Wait. Wait a moment for a final and important word from Miss Churchill. Listen. Suspense is produced, directed, and taped in Hollywood by William N. Robeson. Mr. Ben Wright supported Miss Churchill as The Signalman. The orchestra was conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Sound effects by Ray Kemper and Gus Bays, with Doc Bennett at the microphone controls. And here once more is today's star of Suspense, Miss Churchill. Thank you. It has been a pleasure to be a guest of Suspense, as it is always a pleasure for me to be a guest in your country. I do hope you will permit me a word to you, my host. One of the greatest privileges we English-speaking peoples enjoy is the franchise. From that distant day when the barons wrested the Magna Carta from King John at Runnymede to the day after tomorrow... We have cherished and fought for and even died for the right to vote. So please exercise your vote on Tuesday. Vote as you think, but vote. That will wrap up this episode of The Twilight Beacon. You heard The Thing on the Fobelboard from August 9th, 1948 airing of Quiet Please and The Signal Man by Charles Dickens from the November 4th, 1956 broadcast of Suspense. The Twilight Beacon will return this Friday, October 15th with another Sci Friday presentation featuring chilling adventures in space. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. 
Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and a schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.